Yo, what's happening runners? Welcome back to another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything running. The highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. My name is Lloyd, I'll be your host for today's episode, and I'm buzzing once again to be welcoming Tin Man Elite's Joey Berriatua to the show today. On today's show, we'll sit down with Joey and we talk through a whole host of topics, including his early years playing baseball with his dad and his uncle, his journey into athletics throughout high school and college, how he literally landed on the doorstep of Tin Man Elite, and the importance behind helping others around you to help yourself. Now, before we get into that interview, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please do head over to our Instagram and drop us a follow. And you can also check out our website, trackster.com, where we're putting all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel, and you can register for our running newsletter so you can keep up to date with all of the gossip around the running world. If you'd like to support the show and what we're doing here, please do leave us a review, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Joey Berriatua. All right. How you doing, Joey? Welcome to the show. How are you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. We're uh, Sam Parsons and I are staying up in a, a house in Netherlands right now. So that's right up the mountain from Boulder. Um, so sleep has been a little tough the past couple of days. But besides that, everything's good. How are you doing? Yeah, good, man. I'm good. Um, I'm in sunny, well, well, not very sunny, pretty overcast southwest London. So it's uh, mm. probably not as exciting as being up in the mountain, but uh, you do what you, you do what you can do. Have you, um, yeah. have you been out for your morning run yet? No, not yet. Um, we had a long run yesterday, so I got in about 21 miles and uh, it snowed a bunch yesterday. So it was kind of a sketchy trip down the mountain with all the snow and wind and stuff. But um I thought I'd take my time this morning and let some of the snow melt with the sun out. So uh, we're going to probably go right after we're done with this podcast. All right. Well, I won't, I won't take too much of your time then. Uh, 21 miles. Please take as much as you can. <laughs> okay. Try and put it off. <laughs> More <Yeah>. recovery time. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So we, we're pretty consistent with this podcast, Joey, where... I want to really focus on you as a person rather than just saying, oh, Joey is this fast at the 5K or this fast at the mile. It's all well and good uh, being a fast runner, but I feel that the sport really needs to understand who the people are before yeah. just how quick they run. So take me back to the start. Where did your journey with sport, not necessarily athletics, where did your journey with sport start for you? Um, so I actually grew up in like a really big baseball family. Uh, my dad and my uncle both played professionally for a couple of years, uh, professional baseball. And then, um, my other uncle played in college. So, a uh, lot of, a lot of lineage in the baseball community. And, um, so that's where I started. I mean, I started playing when I was five, just very young and I played all the way up till I was about 16 or 17. So like my junior year of high school, um, before I transitioned the track, um, and yeah, I really just thought that I was going to be uh, in the MLB playing for, you know, the Yankees being the shortstop behind Derek Jeter. And that was the big goal and dream. So I've always wanted to be a professional athlete. And it always seemed like that was going to be the goal, regardless of what I was doing. So it's quite interesting finding myself in a professional running space right now instead of in the professional baseball sp space, you know. So, yeah. And um, do you ever do you ever go down the batting cages still? No, I haven't been in quite a bit. You know, surprisingly, uh, I don't know, um, Riley Masters. I don't know if you remember who he is. Yeah, 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 I remember that guy. Yeah, Riley Masters loves 
uh, baseball and softball. So I've actually been to the local batting cages with him before, but that was maybe a couple years ago before COVID. And he's got like a softball team that he has in the fall and spring, but it's always like right in the middle of either track season or like when we have races coming up in the, on the roads in the fall. So I, I never get to play with him and, and his team, but um, I'm planning on going back soon. We have a, we have a place right down the street from our house that has like go-karts and batting cages and putt-putt and stuff like that. So uh, I, I need to go back soon. It's That's been it. a minute though. Yeah, that sounds awesome. It, it, when I think of, uh, if you used to, to understand over here in the UK, we, we don't really have baseball in terms of like in our school curriculum. We have a game right. called Rounders. Have you ever heard of Rounders? No, I haven't. Oh, this is going to sound so sucky to you. So Rounders oh. is basically the same concept of baseball. So you've got your, your you know, you stand up, at, set, set up as a batter, hit the ball, run around the circuit, et cetera, right? But yeah. it's a tiny little bat. It's a tiny little ball. It's like a watered down, diluted version of baseball. Um but yeah, it, I I just feel that yeah, it, we haven't we haven't reached the big leagues when it comes to baseball yet. But interesting that you know you come from a sporting family. You know, you said that it was your, was it your dad, your dad, and who was it in your family that were pro? My dad and my uncle both played professionally. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you literally from a very early age were hanging around yeah. with with pro athletes. And I think it, it's fair to say my sister also played softball and she uh, played Division One softball and she actually pitched uh, a perfect game, which is like the only only perfect game in her school. She went to the university of San Diego. Um, so only perfect game in school history, which was pretty cool. So yeah, a lot of ties with baseball and softball, um, growing up, it was basically my whole life, you know, we yeah. didn't, it's weird to think now I like don't have like too many hobbies or skills that, you know, some people have, you know, I have teammates that really like fishing or, uh, you know, just, or like drawing and like creative stuff, you know, and, here I am. We're like, what did you do growing up? It's like, well, I, you know, played baseball every single weekend for about 10 years straight, you know, like, it was, I mean, I grew up in California, so it was just nonstop. We could play year round, you know, so um, didn't really pick up any hobbies per se, but uh, I didn't know how to swing a bat back in the day. <laughs> uh, come, might come in handy one day when the running started. Yeah. Who knows? So, when, when did you, when did all your chips go into to, to one basket for running? At what age were you when you were like, look, this is what I want to pursue. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran track in middle school. Well, it was weird. Cause I, um, my, my elementary and middle school, uh, baseball was in the fall and then track was in the spring. So it was like a very, very interesting, but it worked out great where I could, you know, run track. And, um, I found some success in the mile, uh, in middle school. And then once high school came around, um, I went to like a very prestigious baseball, um, or sports school, um, uh, for high school, it's where Tom Brady and, and Barry Bonds and um, a bunch of other old time, like we have a couple guys in the Football Hall of Fame or a couple guys in the NFL and a couple guys. We have a bunch of guys in the MLB. Um, so I went to, yeah, I went to that high school, same high school that my dad and my uncles went to to play baseball. And um, I tried out for baseball freshman year and I made it. And um, But at the same time, my dad was like, hey, you should probably think about running cross country in the fall just to just to stay in shape, you know, I was like, all right, I think I'll, I'll try it out. And I had some relatively decent success. You know, I wasn't anything crazy, but I was, I think I was in the top eight for our, for a high school team. And our high school team was, you know, not super competitive, but still solid. So that was nice and promising. 
uh, but I was still very focused on playing baseball in the spring. And it just worked out where our, you know, the, and so I'm fortunate that the freshman and JV programs were as cutthroat as the varsity programs, where if you made a couple errors or weren't playing as well, like you were kind of riding the bench and you weren't seeing any playing time, you know, they kind of had, the coaches had their guys that they were going to play and everybody else was just kind of like pushed off to the side. So I kind of found myself in that position where I wasn't playing a lot. I was selling my soul every day to try and like get a starting spot and it just wasn't going to be rewarded ever, you know, like maybe if we were, up by like 10 runs they put me in as a pinch runner and you know the bottom of the seventh or the top of the seventh which is like one of the last innings you know so it was super discouraging and as I found um myself not playing baseball as much I found myself getting a lot better at running especially like going into my junior year I really decided to over the summer like start actually training for cross-country season um you know it wasn't a ton of training I was maybe running like 20 miles a week, but it was 20 miles a week more than I was training the two summers before. Um, and I had a couple of friends on the team that were older than me that I looked up to that really kind of set the tone of this is what you got to do if you want to make a big jump. And um, so, yeah, I ended up making a really big jump and I, um, you know, got into like the top 10 all time for our cross country, like home course list um, and had a, had a great season. And uh, after that, it was all right. The the question was, do you want to, you know, run track and possibly, you know, get better at cross country and get a chance to go division one or go to college and get a scholarship to run cross country and track? Or do you want to give baseball one more shot, most likely ride the bench or, you know, as a junior, you could still be on the JV team, which was a very real possibility for me. You could be on the JV team maybe get a little bit of playing time, but run into the same frustrations that you had the previous two years. And so um, I decided to end up like running track just for the opportunity to get better at running, start running year round um, and try to go to college for running. And it worked out great because I ended up having a decent track season. Um, I qualified for state the next year in cross country, won my league championship and uh, had an even better track season my senior year and got recruited to go to Santa Clara. So it all, it all worked out pretty well. So it was, it was an interesting transition just because it was, uh, you know, telling my dad, he was a professional baseball player. Hey, I yeah. don't want to do this anymore, but I, I think he's lying every time where he says, you know, I like watching track and cross country better than I like watching baseball. And I was like, you're full of shit. And like, no, you don't, you know, but like, he's always, he's the one that got me into running in the first place, you know, like um, after he's he both. was um, yeah, it's weird. After he was done with baseball, he just started running and he would run like 60 miles a week just for the hell of it when he was when he was in his 20s. And he continued running as my sister and I were growing up. And so it was always super cool to see him go out for a run. And I always said, can I please go with you? And he said, well, you got to like start training for it a little bit more. So eventually I, I got out with him and now I um, he's a little bit older, so I can I can drop him now. Um, yeah, but just about. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's the one that got me into running. So it was it was a little weird, but it was a it was a great transition and I I think I made the right decision. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's 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 amazing and I lo I love that your, your dad probably didn't even realize the impact he had on you when he said, "What what do you what do you do cross country? Stay in shape." And, yeah, it uh, was crazy. I mean, like after freshman year after baseball practice, um he would come drive to the school because I couldn't drive. I was still 14 at the time. He'd drive to the school to come pick me up, but he'd pick up my stuff 
And he said, okay, you go run home now because you got to train for cross country next fall. Like you can't just not run at all. So I would go run three miles home after a two and a half hour baseball practice. And the worst part about my hometown where I'm from, it's very much like the city of San Francisco. Like it's just straight uphill or downhill. So I'm, you know, getting like a thousand feet of climbing, like after three hours of baseball practice to go run home, you know, it's just brutal, but it, you know, kind of like calloused me to the idea that like running isn't that bad. And it's something that you could get really good at when you put in the time for it, you know? Little did you know that the graft that you were putting in up those hills after baseball training would hold you in such good stead. Yeah. I'm convinced I could be a better mountain runner than a track runner, but I, <laughs> I want all the glory on the track, you know? Yeah, the track's uh, the, the track is a sticky surface. It's hard to step away from. I feel. Yeah, that's so true. So you spoke about when you eventually uh, made this decision to go all in on running and and go to to college. Uh, talk us through those years, through your through your college years of competing uh, track and field. Because us guys over here in the U UK, we've got a bit of an understanding, right? We don't know too much of what it really looks and sounds like to be a collegiate runner. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like an interesting five years at Santa Clara. We're um, we're in the West Coast Conference, so we're in the same conference as Portland and Gonzaga and BYU. Well, now that BYU is actually leaving the conference, but um, so we're in a pretty like competitive conference up front. And when I went to Santa Clara, I I got recruited there. Um, and the program was very okay. We were kind of in the bottom half of the conference. So we weren't beating schools that we honestly should have been beating. Um, well, okay, I'll say um, what might help you out. Uh, USF, University of San Francisco, had a bunch of British guys. So um, Jack Rowe is one of the guys I used to race against. Matt Leach, um, Alex Short, and uh, Jack Jacob Allen yeah, yeah yeah so we race against I race against all those guys for like you know three or four years and um yeah we weren't very good um my first couple of years but I went to the program with the idea that uh, I could make an impact right away and I could help grow the program to be bigger than something uh it was when I you know when I showed up and so um it was really cool the idea that like I could make an impact early on I ran conference my, you know, all five or four, four of the five years, just because I had to register a year. Um, and as we were uh, kind of going along through the years, we started getting better and better. And it was really cool to see that progression of the mindset change of we were a, a borderline drinking club my freshman year, because the, old, <laughs> the older guys just really enjoyed the social scene. Santa Clara is like a, a very like social school. It's super small. So everybody knows each other. And so the you know, the, the party scene and the, the nightlife are actually like pretty good, you know, so it's really difficult to kind of keep, keep the blinders on with running. Um, but yeah, I mean, we weren't a well-supported team and it showed, uh, we had, you know, every NCAA team, like, or every sport gets like a max number of scholarships that they give, can give to their athletes. So for, for cross country and track, I think it's like 12 or 13 on the men's side for max number of scholarships, which is what basically teams like Portland and Gonzaga had at the time. So they could give 13 guys full scholarships if they really wanted to. And we had 0.95 scholarships when I came in. So we had less than one scholarship to divvy up 
between the whole team yeah when i showed up and it's because we had an athletic director that didn't care and um about our team that cared about you know our baseball and our basketball team who sucked more than we did um and uh throughout the years uh you know it was it, it was more it felt more like a club team than an actual division one team you know you you i'm sure you hear about um some of these bigger programs they get thousands of dollars worth of gear and unlimited shoes and you know some of these like you know, I see like the Texas track team getting like chartered flights to their meets. It's like, no, oh, yeah, we, I've seen, I've seen this, we, yeah. we, uh, we did, our coach did some interesting things to make sure that we could like kind make of make ends meet. <laughs> yeah. We, we got one pair of shoes a season, whether that was your, your cross country spikes or your track spikes or a pair of trainers that was up to you, you know? So we were, you know, I had to buy a lot of my, uh, my own shoes if I wanted a pair of track spikes for the spring, you know, um, and we got a couple cotton shirts that were screen printed on by the coaches themselves. Um, so it was like a very, we were kind of slumming it, you know, but our coach was like, this is just like how it works when you're at this level, you have to like dig your way up and you have to be grateful for what you can get your hands on because to be honest, we're probably getting more than some other teams are getting. So just be happy, be grateful for what you are getting. And so um, it all changed like my junior year when we got a new athletic director and she talked to our coach Felipe Montoro and she was like, what do you need to win conference? And our coach said, this is everything that we need. And she's like, good, I'll give it to you, you know? And yeah. so now all of a sudden our team's fully funded and, um, we get all the gear in the world and we don't get chartered flights, but you know, we don't have to with the the funniest thing that I, I always tell my teammate Drew Hunter is that um, for meets, if we ran a meet in LA for a track, so the meet, so the, so the events were always at night. If we had an, a night meet in LA from San Francisco, we would fly out the morning of the meet to go. So I would wake up at like 8am, take a flight to, Los Angeles, run a 5k that night on the track. And then we'd fly home the next morning. Like that's how much we had no money. You know, we couldn't even afford more than one night in a hotel. So our coach, like, it's like, this is what we got to do. Like, we just have to fly out the day of it's the same thing as taking a bus, I guess. So, um, yeah, kind it was of, just like kind of against it. You know, that's that sounds like there's such a gulf there between the, the basic money isn't it it's money and resources it is big money yeah lots of like the the more resources you have the better off you're going to do and that's why portland was so good yeah you know compared to the rest of the you know the teams in the ncaa because they didn't have a track program and they had 13 scholarships to give to just distance runners you know so of course they're going to be great when they can you know shell out money like that and now we're finding that we're in this the same exact situation because we don't have a track team. We don't have sprinters. We don't have throwers. We don't have jumpers. Like we could give 12 point something scholarships to just distance runners. And it's showing like we're, we're so much more competitive than we've ever been. So um, yeah, we were definitely slumming it early on um, compared to some other teams in our conference and compared to some other teams in our area. Um, but it was like, really, like I said, it was really cool to see that progression of like, Oh, we got this good recruit. Oh, we're getting like better recruits the better recruits are starting to run better. Like they have more resources, they're better supported. And now all of a sudden, like we have guys qualifying for nationals, uh, which was unheard of when I, when I got there and yeah, it's just like a super, it's just like a super cool thing. Like I said, I wanted to leave the program better than I found it when I showed up and just to see where it's at now is, 
especially, you know, and that's, that's why I wanted to go there in the first place was just like, let's build something. I could go to, I could walk on to Portland and, you know, not run conference until my senior year and be a part of like, you know, this program that has so much success, but in reality, it's like, that's, that's not that much fun to me. Like, I don't want to be on a, a powerhouse. I want to be a part of something that's a little bit bigger than myself, you know, and contribute heavily to that. I think interestingly, Jerry, a lot of what you're talking about when you speak about that, that impact you wanted to make and leave something in a better place than when you started, we're going to talk about in this conversation later on, which relates heavily to Tin Man Elite, which yeah. is really, um, yeah, it's just screaming irony to me, which is yeah. good. So we're going to refer back to this section in, okay. in a sec, but um, well, let's talk about Tin Man Man. Tin Man Man, there you go. Let's talk about it. I yeah. mean, I've read about your story of, of how you, you sort of came about Tin Man from the website and that bar. I want to get a bit of a deep deeper outlet from, from the man himself. Yeah. How did you become a part of Tin Man? Talk us through that story. You know, I I had no reason to like try to, or I had no reason to think that I could run post-collegiate or professionally. I could have ran post-collegiately for some of the local clubs that were in the Bay Area. Um, I don't think that was going to be an issue, but I just didn't want to stay in San Francisco because that's where a lot of um, my like colleagues and my classmates from Santa Clara moved to. And it's like a very similar culture to what we experienced in college where it's like, you grind your your coursework or you grind your work during the day and then you're just going to go drink and socialize at night or on the weekends and that was something that I didn't really like doing that much in the first place and you know even the times I did do it I knew it was just going to hinder my running so there's always a time and place for that stuff don't get me wrong I love to socialize but um I wanted to be a really good runner much more than I wanted to make friends, to be quite honest. So I, uh, my, in the spring of my fifth year, I ran 852 for the steeplechase at Peyton Jordan, which was like a huge PR. I was ranked top 25 in the country in the NCAA for, for steeplechase. And um, I thought like, this is my ticket to go run post-collegiately. Cause um, you know, early on freshman, like my freshman year of college, I, PR by like 17 seconds in the 1500. I ran 349 for 1500. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to run 339 by the time I'm a fifth year or a senior. I'm going to go run for Mark Rowland and Oregon Track Club because they were like the premier 1500 team in the country yeah. at the time. I was like, I'm going to go run for them and it's going to be great. I'm going to have this fat Nike contract and just run professionally for 10 years because that's how it works. Right. Um, but I really stalled out and eventually made the switch to the steeplechase. And I, like I said, I ran that time and I was like, perfect. This is like my new in to like get into a post-collegiate group that maybe I don't belong in because my other times weren't all that great. And I actually reached out to, to Sam Parsons on Instagram saying like, Hey, just like with like a little mini bio, like, here's who I am. Here's what I've run. I know I'm not fast enough to like even consider running post-collegiately, but I know I'm going to be really good if I just get a shot from somebody. Let me know if you can, like, if you guys are interested in, like, giving me that shot. And he responded back. He said, okay, like, the two things that are required for our team is you got to be co coached by Tom Schwartz, who was our coach at the time, and you have to live in Boulder. And I, I said, say less. Like, I'll move out to Boulder. And so I quite literally, like, three months later, like, packed up all my stuff 
and moved straight to Boulder and messaged them when I got there saying, Hey, I'm here. Like I'm being coached by Tom. I'm outside guys. Let me in. <laughs> let me know if you want, you let me know if you guys want to go for a jog. And I don't know like what convinced them. Like, cause I went on a couple of easy runs with them and that turned into like working out with them. And um, next thing you know, like I was like, these guys were like some of my best friends, you know, like we yeah. just became really like good friends. And it took about like a year, I think for me to officially like be on the roster, but I was training with them year round up to that point. So that's how I kind of got in. I kind of finagled my way in at the right time. Cause it was still just the main four guys um, that were officially on the team at that point. And Connor Winter was transitioning his way to being on the team as well. And we had, we were bringing in Kyle Medina and Jeff Dees as well. And um, my other, my other teammate, Henry Dwyer moved out at the same time with me. So they were really looking to grow. And so we had this, they had a flock of like, you know, four or five guys basically come out at the same time. And I kind of just like weaseled my way in with them and to where they're like, yeah, like he's a nice guy and we get along with him. So we'll, we'll you know, he can train with us. And it was definitely like, a I think it was a little bit of a charity case early on because I knew I wasn't good enough to be training with them, but I was selling my soul like every single workout to keep up. I was like, in my mind, I was like, if you do not keep up, you're getting cut from this team. Like they won't let you come back to practice anymore. So just like stay in your place, but keep up at the same time. And so that's basically what I did for a year straight until they were like, all right, you're like officially on the team. Like you're on the roster, you're on the website. Here's your Adidas stuff. There you go. You know, so it was a, it was a weird year for sure, but I made it somehow. And what, which year, which year was that first year? So what, what year are we talking? It was fall of 2018. 2018. So during that year, when you are flogging yourself, every single workout, ultimately probably training way harder than you should have been yep. to just keep up. Mm -hmm. How did you, how did you still have some level of enjoyment from running? Because enjoyment is obviously powerful, but yeah. if you are killing yourself in training every day, that can grind you down. How did you cope with that pressure to still enjoy your running? I mean, I think at that time, like the running was the only thing that like truly was bringing me joy. Like I, like I said, I didn't want to be in San Francisco. I didn't want to work a full-time job and like just drink myself to death with my, like with the people that I went to Santa Clara with. Granted, like I have... My best, some of my best friends live in San Francisco, like I love them to death, but like the culture that's there just like, wasn't really conducive to what I wanted to do. And I wanted to run. And so it was like invigorating for me to be able to keep up in workouts, even though I was selling my soul, you know, like I would finish a workout pretty dead, but at the same time, I was like, I just like ran the full workout with them. And that was like super motivating. And like I said, it was incredibly invigorating for me. So it was like, it was almost a challenge for me to be able to do that stuff. You know, it wasn't, it was physically exhausting, but it wasn't mentally exhausting. If that makes sense. Like, you know, sometimes when you're really grinding out workouts and like trying way harder than you need to, like you mentally get like really tired from it, but I was just having such a good time. And I loved the idea that I was like pursuing a dream that was like kind of dying, you know, like I wanted to run professionally since I made the transition to track in high school. And, um, the fact that I was like actually like pursuing that and getting that done was so it was just so great for me that I was willing to do anything to get to that point. And so for me, that was just like part of the process. Like it was something that I needed to do to get it done. So. Yeah. Fair enough, mate. Fair. And 
you know, you you put that year in, you graph, they say to you, look, you're part of the team now. You know, you you really are uh, one of the core members. And it's almost like, right, now the real work starts. Okay, now, yeah. I'm, now I'm pro. I'm a pro. I've mm-hmm. got expectations. I've got people that are kind of relying on my, my results. For sure, yeah. We then hit a pandemic, right? We hit mm-hmm. COVID-19 where everyone's world just gets turned upside down. I want to understand what was the pandemic like for you as an American, mm-hmm. uh, but also within Tin Man, because the sport as we know it changed over here. It just stopped. We had nothing. We, you yeah. know, it was an absolute whirlwind. So yeah, what was it like for you, Joey, first before athlete, Joey? Um, it was it was fine. I mean, for me, like I said early on, I just wasn't at that level to like. really qualify for a u.s championship or be competitive at u.s championships and so for me i i thought it was just like another year to like i said in my mind like personally for me like running was everything like this was why i was in boulder this was um like i was living out my dream and my passion So, so a lot of my like mental like health was tied to the running you know um which isn't great all the time but um for me during the pandemic when it started, we knew that the trials, the Olympic trials was eventually going to get canceled. And so for me, it was like, great, this is just another year for me to get better. This is me, you know, having one more year of experience before I really get to this big stage that I've been striving for since I started running. And so um, it was, it was easy, or it wasn't easy by any means, but or it was easier for me to cope with the idea that we weren't going to be racing or that things were kind of shut down. Um, I was still working at the time. I worked at the feed um, when COVID started. I don't know if you've heard of the feed. They sponsor the Tour de France and they have all the, they do like all the athlete supplement, electrolyte, yeah, sure, yeah. you know, all the snacks and stuff like that. So I was just working in the warehouse fulfilling orders. So I was still working full time um, then. And so that brought a lot of normalcy, but in reality, I just wanted to stay home and like pretend that I was like a true, true professional runner, you know? So that, that part was kind of hard to like have to go work for eight hours a day, um, during the week and then still have to get all my training in. But in reality, it was just like, it just slowed everything down in, in the U S where, um, we were only hanging out with people at our house. So for me, for the team, it was, uh, I was living with, um, Jeff, Henry, and Pat Joseph at the time, who I haven't mentioned yet. Um, the four of us were living together and training together when we could, um, when everything lined up. And then, you know, guys at the other house, like Reed, Drew, and Sam were all living together. So they all trained together. And then Aaron, Sydney, and Brian were all living at another house. So they all trained together. So we had our like, we had our like nice little like mini training groups within our team when we couldn't meet up. So it wasn't that bad. Um, I wish we had all been able to train together for those, you know, first six months, but just with the nature of everything, every, everybody was super tense. Like even training with the three guys that I lived with was like a point of contention. If we were out on the trails or the track, you know, if people saw us in a group, it was, it was, it was such a weird situation where everybody was like super on edge about it all. And so being with more than one person was just like a, like a taboo thing to do, you know, but like we all live together. So might as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't super difficult by any means. I just missed training with the whole team. That was the hardest part. I think for me, it was just like missing some of those guys that like, I really got along with every single day. Um, even though I did have a couple guys 
with me that I did get along great with. Um, yeah, I just miss that like t- that true team environment. Really, camaraderie of the team seems like sure. that's yeah. a massive sport, sort of value of Tin Man Elite, especially from what we see on social media and on the YouTube channel. Um, so I've had a look at the the Tin Man website, and I want to read you something that uh relates to you it says here that you've been described as an athlete has great attitude great work ethic and a contagious love for his team now where do you think that character comes from is that something that's changed over time as you've grown up through your life or have there been role models in your life that have nurtured you into a person that has those characteristics and this is where i want to relate back to what we were saying earlier where you wanted to enter that program of college and leave it in a better place and impact. Yeah. I feel that those characteristics really align well with that. Just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think just growing up playing baseball, it's like a, it's a sport where you fail 70% of the time, you know, at the least, you know, guy like professional baseball players going to the hall of fame, failing 70% of the time. If you bat 300, you're a hall of famer, you know? So that means you only get a hit three out of the 10 times that you're at, you're at home, you're, you know, you're at bat. So I experienced a lot of failure growing up. Um, and especially in a team environment, it's very, it's very difficult to like not be selfish in your own pursuits when you're on a team. And so I think playing baseball and kind of growing up in that environment, especially in situations where I found myself as the leader of the team, like you really have to like put yourself aside for the betterment of the team. You know, you can't be the eye guy essentially when the whole, when the team's trying to win, you know, you're only a small part of the team. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're only a small part of the team. So um, it really put into perspective that you got to be thinking about others and that you, even when you are failing, there are opportunities for other to, others to succeed. Um, and you have to play a part in that other person's success. You know, you can't only think about yourself. And I think as I went into college specifically, I started learning like high school, I was by far the best runner and I was super selfish about it. I didn't care about my teammates. I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't care how they did because it didn't seem like they really cared how they did. And that was a super selfish thing for me to do. Like they weren't training over the summer. So I just like, didn't care to be around them. I wanted to just be on my own and just have my own pursuits. But as I went into college, I started realizing that, um, like I had this very like selfish mindset that if you're not good, you're not good. And you're probably not worth like paying attention to. But as I like, started finding myself more in a, in a leadership position on the team and started really like diving into like some of like the different paths that different people take with their running. Um, I started realizing that like, it's the guys that work the hardest that are worth like nurturing the most. And for our team at Santa Clara, it was the guys that had to walk on to the team, I guess. And so, um, it was it was very eye opening, like my sophomore and junior year when we had freshmen or we had sophomores come in that were walk ons that said, oh yeah, like I asked to be on the team last year, but our co- you know Felipe said, here's a training plan, go run ninety miles a week, see if you get better, come back to me in a year and let me know if you've done the training. It was like a super like 
it was a very weird thing to listen to. It's like, go train by yourself for a year, sell your soul, and you might be able to make the team. And so the guy, it was a super deterring thing to hear, I'm sure, as a, you know, somebody who's trying to walk on. But the guys who made it were the guys that actually put in the work and the guys that actually found themselves making those big jumps. And they still weren't the best guys on the team that, you know, maybe couldn't break 15 in the 5K were the hardest workers on the team because they had to, like, come so far to get to the point of even like making the team, you know? So they had to train for a year by themselves and they were basically selling their souls with this, for this opportunity to just run for our team, which was super cool. And was something I definitely took for granted, just being like pretty solid in high school. Like I just got a spot, you know, to be offered without like really having to like do anything extraordinary, you know? And so I started realizing that those were the guys that were worth paying attention to and worth, were worth like, having like be a part like a huge part of the team culture because those were the guys that were going to make our program better they were going to push our ceiling even higher than like super talented recruits to be quite honest because we had really good recruits in college that like just didn't really pan out or just like didn't really like those like guys that just didn't really work hard because they did think they had all the talent in the world and those guys weren't going to be very good for our program because they were just going to like essentially be the same as the guys that were upperclassmen when I was a freshman who cared more about partying or cared more about the social scene and stuff like that. So I started realizing that like the culture fit for our team and the way we were going to get better was to really like foster the environment where like you, I don't care how good you are. If you're working hard, like you have my respect, you know, and I feel like I had a little bit, especially like my senior, my fifth year, I kind of had more of an impact than I realized on establishing and fostering that culture um I think it pissed some people off in terms of like I kind of was a little judgmental when they were going out in the middle of the season or they decided to like not make running a priority obviously outside of academics like if they weren't making academics and running a priority then they weren't really worth like my time I guess which was kind of shitty because it definitely didn't help with some of my friendships. But at the same time, like I really wanted the team to be good and I wanted it to be better than when I found it. And um, so I like really invested my time and energy in the guys that wanted to work hard. And that wasn't always necessarily the best guys in the team. It was, you know, for the most part, the like the slowest guys in the team that like really like put in their time and energy to like become better runners, not because they wanted the glory, but just because they like wanted to be good and they wanted to have the team be good and they were willing to do anything to do that and so um on that same wavelength I go to Tin Man and I find myself in that same exact position where I am like the walk-on that has to sell his soul for a year I'm by far the worst guy in the team I have the slowest times I have the slowest I have the slowest high school times I have the slowest college times I have the slowest current times like I have the least potential and the least talent on the team. Other than, that, to, other than that, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Other than that. Yeah. So like <laughs> essentially like find like to be able to do this. And so, you know, as I learned from the walk-ons at Santa Clara, like who, ha- who I found like having a huge role in the team, I had to like find a role on the team for myself, like with Tim man. So for me, it wasn't, I wasn't going to be running the fast times that like Drew was running. You know, I wasn't going to be a leader on the team in the sense of like, I'm going to be the one that's like sets the tone for the performances. I'm going to have to like set the tone of practice or I'm going to have to set the tone in the weight room. I'm going to have to set the tone, like from a culture perspective, I have to like find a role for myself in order to like present value to this team. Cause if not, like, I'm not going to like 
be a good fit for the team. And so for me, it really was like, just, I wasn't like trying to inspire my like teammates by any means. I wasn't like, Oh, what you're doing is inspiring. It was more like, if you keep working hard and you keep putting your head down and showing that like you are dedicated to this team and doing, and like being willing to do whatever it takes to like make that next jump or like get that like big PR or qualify for USAs, then that's going to help, you know, maybe that'll help the guy, some other guys like in times when they're like not feeling the motivation, you know? Um, or for example, like when I got, I had a pretty gnarly adductor tear in 2019, it was like, all right, like, how do I find myself being a role player on this team when you're not going to be able to be a, like to train with them? And that was sell my soul in the pool, like show the guys that I am like working my ass off in the pool and show up to practice and show them that like I'm supporting them even through my own like like even if it, I do have all the reason to be selfish and like wallow in my injury, like I have to be a supportive teammate, you know? So I think it like those guys in Santa Clara really opened up my eyes to the idea of what it means to like be on the team. And as, as, as I was saying before with baseball, like I've experienced so much failure growing up that like not winning races is like the least of my worries when it comes to like my pursuit of becoming a professional runner, like, or becoming, you know, a world-class runner like I have it's just part of that like process that's just part of like going up the ranks is finding that failure and finding ways to like be unselfish through that because it's so easy to like lose races and get your ass kicked and stuff and just wallow in that but in reality like there's it's we're on we're on a team that's like so much bigger than the individual self you know even like it's even like our impact is it's felt like it's beyond even like our own like individuals on the team like it's really like we're making an impact like especially in the U.S. And, and globally that like inspires other people to like pursue their passions and their dreams and you know I want to be a part of that because there's going to be more uh, you know there's going to be more guys that are going to relate to guys like me than there will be to guys like Drew like nobody not everybody's going to run 357 in high school you know like granted like Drew worked his ass off for that like he's got all the talent in the world to be able to like get to that point. But in reality, like some people are going to work their asses off and find themselves running 430 in high school or 445 in high school. And to have a little bit of hope that like, Hey, if you want to pursue this, you can um, even throughout all the failure and stuff, like to, to be able to like shine that light on the community is something that I, you know, found um, inspiration from in Santa Clara again with, you know, with some of my, with some of my teammates that, you know, were just trying to break 15 um, and just be able to apply that to now just on a little bit of a different level. I think that is very wholesome of you as a, as a person, not just an athlete. Mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you, I don't know whether you've been asked this before, but you've spoken a lot in this conversation about other people, helping other people. You've probably said the word team a mm -hmm. hundred times already in this conversation. <laughs> And I think a lot of our British listeners could really benefit from listening to that attitude because um, I feel that all of our, we, we're here all the time running as an individual sport, athletics is an individual sport, mm -hmm. but you've just proved there that, yeah, you've got your you've got your individual goals, you've got your aspirations to be a professional athlete, but you are helping people, other people along the way in any way you possibly can, whether you're when you're running really well in training, whether you're injured in the pool, doing a workout there, 
I want to ask you, have you ever considered how much helping other people around you actually helps you? You know, I'm, I've never been asked that question. And I've, I feel like I've thought, I've thought about it before where I've really throughout these past, like I've, you know, I'm in my fifth year of training with Tin Man now, or, you know, training with the team. And I've asked myself a couple of times, like, is it worth just like pissing off somewhere else and going to train by myself, finding, you know, going, maybe going back to my Santa Clara coach, finding, you know, another coach and just training on my own and like truly like diving into this like personal journey on my own and seeing how that works out. And, you know, it's, it's tough to like realize even through like some tough times with the team, you know, like even through the, the pandemic when we weren't all together and when we were going through a coaching change where like things kind of felt turbulent, like the grass is always going to seem greener on the other side. You know, you're going to see other teams that seem like they're having more fun or finding better success or that are in better situations. But in reality, like everybody's kind of like dealing with their own stuff. And so for me, I always go back to the idea that it's like, it's worth staying with this team because even through some of the hardships that we may have at times, even though like we may not always get along perfectly, just as like every other team does, like it's worth sticking around because these are the guys that are going to help carry me to that next level, you know? And so I think it's always worth investing in those other people and, and investing in um, even like, you know, even not like, not just my teammates, but just even getting a DM on Instagram from a kid saying like, Hey, you've truly inspired me to like, keep going. And, you know, I was down and out and I wanted, you know, I saw your story and I wanted to keep going. Like, that's enough to keep me going. You know, like I wanted to quit, like, you know, so many times after running so shitty or getting my ass kicked, you know, not making a US final or, you know, getting waxed by a college kid, you know, that, that shit's defeating, you know, it, it really sucks sometimes to like, feel like you're not at the level that you should, that I should be at, at this age, but to be able to come back to that every single time of like, no, this is worth pursuing because if you quit, you'll never know how far you'll get, you know, you don't know. I don't know if I can like get to a world-class level in the steeplechase or in, you know, whatever event, but I won't find out unless I try. And so um, the people that like reinforce the idea that that's worth it is worth sticking around for. And currently like the, the guys on the team are the ones that are reinforcing the idea that I can get to the level that I aspire to be, even though it may not seem like it on paper. Cause we all like, you know, people always like say their goals out loud and verbalize that, um, whether it be through social media or interviews and stuff. And sometimes you're like, there's no freaking way that that guy is going to be able to do that. And I'm sure I verbalize stuff all the time that guys are like, eh, he's just not going to do that. You know, like, you know, he's got, he's got the aspiration and stuff and he's got the motivation, but like, he's just not going to get that done. And for me, like the guys in my team are the guys are like, Hey, like, I don't care if it doesn't seem like you're going to get it done. We're going to like go and figure it out. And so the fact that like people invest their time in me shows that it's worth for me to invest my time in other people, because just as much as I may need it, sometimes other people are going to like other people on my team are going to need that, even though it may not look like it on paper. Like Brian and I, Brian, my teammate, Brian Braz and I, he's an eight nineteen steeplechaser, had the world standard last year. Like 
he seems like he's got everything good under his belt, cool, calm, collected, like he's a hell of a performer and a hell of a runner. But we help each other out all the time with like this, these conversations and like trying to find ways to like just be there for each other in times where it seems like, um, you know, the other is struggling, you know, like even though Brian like has run a 19, he has his like difficulties with, with racing and competing. And I want to be there for him to like, see him, um, reach his goals just as the same as he wants to see me reach my goals, you know? So it's worth investing in other people because in turn, they're going to invest in you. Like the, and I find that super important and that's what being on a team is about, you know, even though it may be more beneficial for me to train on my own and get that like attention that, you know, may take me a little bit higher than I could get right now. Like it's worth having those relationships and being able to work together to reach goals. And, you know, in turn, we're inspiring people in the process. So even though some kids may not realize it, like they're inspiring me when they verbalize their accomplishments or their struggles to me, because it, you know, it shows that I'm making an impact and it shows that what I'm doing is worth doing. And that's, what's going to take me to a level that I know I can compete at. You mentioned there during that segment about uh, the pandemic and the coach change. I want to talk about the change in staff at Tin Man. You're now under Joan and Mark Hunter. Right. Um, I remember during that time, uh, just as a fan of the sport, you know, watching the YouTube channels and just following the updates and stuff. Um, always personally rooted for the team just because I thought that the values were, were good and honest, which is which is I think is important. Um, we're not blessed with running teams over here. We don't have that sort of setup. Um, yeah. so it's kind of like um, watching teams uh, transpire over in the States. It's kind of like, that's probably why you've got a big fan base over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, there was a lot of negative press. I call it unofficial sure. unofficial press um, from forums and just social media, et cetera. And it really did cause a stir in the running world. I want to understand what that was like for you as a team member. And I don't want you to speak for anyone else. What was that like for Joey as a part of Tin Man? How did you keep the blinkers on and have that tunnel vision? Because ultimately you're a pro runner. You're training really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. You know, anything external that makes that job harder is so tough. Yeah. How did you, how did you deal with that time as an, as an individual in the team? It was, it was incredibly difficult. Um, it definitely like gave me thicker skin in terms of criticism from, you know, we like, as like pro runners, like we don't like necessarily receive the same criticism as like, say a football player or a baseball player would get because there's not a talk show. Like Stephen A isn't talking like, <laughs> like, like absolutely roasting us on his morning show, you know, like he's roasting like baseball and basketball and football players saying like, this guy does not have what it takes, you know, like, but at the same time, like those, those guys like have to handle that like every single day. And this is the first time that we're getting that kind of negative press. And like, I think it was really difficult for me because I like at that time, I felt like I was still the worst guy on the team. Like that was my mindset. Like you were the worst guy on the team. You have to work your way up through this. And I felt like I was the reason why everybody said we sucked, which was really hard. Like I put that all on myself. Like Nobody truly thinks like that Drew Hunter sucks at running. They think I suck at running. And that's why they say Tin Man sucks. And like, 
that was really difficult to deal with because it like did not help with my self-confidence at all. And so to get this kind of like criticism of like, they're not very good anyways. Like I took that fully upon myself that it's like, I am the reason why people don't think Tim and Elite is good because I go out there and I run shit and I am a direct reflection on the whole team. And that was really difficult, especially like with, I mean, that's been like general criticism, like that you'd see sparsely throughout time, like, oh, they're not very good. And so I, again, I take that personally, but you know, once we had that coaching change and all of a sudden it's like, oh, not only are they not good, but they're shitty people too. Like they, like people were really like questioning our like integrity as human yeah. beings, just because we did not see that our current coach was the best fit for us. And that was really difficult to go through where we were doing what was best for us. And people were using that as a way to shit on us as human beings. And that really sucked. You know, that like, again, that's how I, truly started developing some thicker skin as to what people were saying about me. Um, it didn't help with my running at all. I ran pretty bad. I missed the trials by, you know, a second, I missed a trial standard by a second that year. And so it was just like, really like a, it felt like a big downward spir spiral for about three or four months there, where it's like, I couldn't get my footing in terms of running performances. And I was letting those outside factors really affect me. Um, yeah, it was really tough, but like at the same time, like we all kind of came together as a team when we made that decision. We're like, look, we're going to receive a lot of flack. We're going to like get a lot of pushback, but this is something that we have to do together. Like we really have to invest in each other during this time. And I feel like we did do that. Um, but again, like it was super difficult from an individual perspective to feel like I had a place in the running world where not only was I like already being shit on as a runner, but I was being shit on as a human. I was like, what's like, what's the point? of doing this if like I'm just going to be like you know a point of contention in this space and so I really had to like invest in my like myself and like throw you know like it's it's never really been about the glory per se but I had to throw the idea that we were receiving attention at all aside and really just invest in myself and my teammates you know that's where I like that's where I really needed to like double down on like this is like you're doing this because you want to be a good runner and you want to see where your ceiling is, you know, like, don't, you can't worry about whether people are saying, because at the end of the day, like you have to go to sleep at night knowing like your decisions and what you did. And for me, I knew that I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing I didn't truly go for it. So it was worth pursuing. I just kind of had to like put a shell over myself for quite some time there to like, make sure I got that done without without like really internalizing some of that negative stuff and eventually over time it just started you know the negative press and you know the comments just started becoming kind of comical and so um I don't go back and read those message board comments or anything I you know from time to time I have read I have gone back to some of the old posts and seen some of the shit that we've gotten and you know you realize that you like just can't take that personally because it's just not worth doing, you know, and it's just some people are just angry for the sake of being angry, or some people are critical for the sake of being critical. And they're allowed to do that. Like, that's part of it. You know, I think what really opened up my eyes is I had a classmate in high school that plays, I, he, had, he plays in the NFL. And at the time he was playing for the Titans, Tennessee Titans, and he got traded to the Oakland Raiders or now the Las Vegas Raiders. And I saw his announcement post that 
or I saw the post from the Raiders that he was being picked up. Like we're picking up defensive lineman, Matt Dickerson. And I was like, that's so sick. Like he's going to play for the Raiders. Like they're originally a Bay area team. Like that's really cool. Like that's such like a awesome thing for him. And I read the comments and everybody's like, why are we picking up this guy? Like he's a trash defensive lineman. Like he's not going to be any good. Like, you know, practice squad, like is destiny for this guy. And I was just like, holy shit this guy like is not in the limelight at all he is not Aaron Rodgers he's not Tom Brady and he's still getting all the shit in the world just because he got traded he didn't even do anything he got yeah. traded you know yeah. like and he's getting this shit like he didn't drop his coach like he didn't make this decision like that decision was made for him and he's getting shit for it so it's like if those guys can take that then I should be able to take it too and have thick skin with with that so yeah it's just in part of it in the famous words of Tom Hanks, this this too shall pass. I yeah. listened to that recently about shit times and good times. When everything's good, that shall also pass. And when things are when things are bad and your luck's out or you're down on your luck or things like you're injured or you're not running well, yeah. whatever. If you stick at something, it will pass. And if something's bad, it can only get better. Generally. Right. Yeah. And looking at your you know looking at your career now. Like me, mate, you know, things are on the up in terms of, you know, what you've been able to achieve. Um, you know, I've I've personally been consumed by your progression since you joined Tin Man because when you spoke about the, earlier in the conversation about people gravitating towards your story more so than a Drew because, yes, everyone's got a Drew at school. There's always that guy that's just so unbelievably talented and, you, you know, there are a lot of runners out there that wouldn't have been that person that can get on board with your story. And... There's something organic about work hard, stick at something, fail, learn, and wait for the breakthrough. And yeah. I feel that with some of the performances that you've been able to, to put out there now, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, 357 mile, we've got a 747 3K, 829 steeplechase. And I really starting to put your foot, not just on the gas pedal, but ultimately you're now you have, you have that, you have, you're at that crux where it's like, right, where do I now go? Like, how, how far can I take this? And you said this yeah, sure. in the call of, well, I'll never know if I don't go for it. Mm -hmm. What I want to understand is, and for our listeners is talk us through your approach in terms of creating the best process for yourself as an athlete. And I want you to put yourself in a headspace of you're in training. So how do you apply yourself as a, as an athlete so that it works best for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, the more I can think about my goals and the more I can aspire to be the best runner I could be, like, the better. And I really do that in training, not only just running, but like doing the supplemental stuff, like in the weight room, doing my activations before a run, doing core work after a run, you know, anything that has to do with training to become a better runner that's when I like actually think about becoming a better runner I don't really think about it too much outside of that which is nice so I'm not consumed by it 24 7 granted there are times when I do think about it a lot but um I really do take a lot of confidence in my training so the you know I think the other guys could speak upon this like the more I can do the better and I think some guys think I'm maybe doing a little bit too much um so I've really like tried to make an emphasis on like having this 
progression of training throughout the years where I'm constantly like, what can I do next? You know, all right, I've run 90 miles a week and I've done all this stuff. What can I do now to be better? And so I think, you know, I had a conversation with Joan last, um, last fall where it was like, Hey, Joan, I want to run hundred to 105 miles a week going into this season. I want to be 10 K focused throughout the fall and the early spring to prepare for steeple to become stronger. And I want to do more of like, I low key want to be more of a sprint like hurdler than I do a steeple chaser in practice. Um, obviously like training, like doing track workouts, you're going to be steeple chasing per se, but when it comes to the preparation, I want to like be very diligent about what I'm doing. And she agreed. And it just gave me more of an excuse just to like do more, you know, instead of just doing walkovers for my hip mobility, I'm trying to do like sprint focused hurdle drills to get my trail leg better, to get my mobility better, or to get my rhythm better going into a steeplechase. Like I'm always trying to find something else to, or I always want to try to find something else to give me that like little bit of an extra bump or that little bit of an extra, like, Hey, you're being productive, you know? Cause if I'm just doing the same thing over and over again throughout the years, it doesn't feel like I'm necessarily like doing as much as I can or being as productive as I can. So I'm always trying to like introduce even if it's like the smallest thing like I'm always trying I always want to introduce something different to give me that different stimulus of like all right like you're working harder you're doing more and you're preparing yourself better for the day when it comes because to be honest like when it comes to racing I don't like you know it's incredible like for example like to bring up Drew again like this is where Drew like truly like inspires me you know I say he's not like a like his high school story isn't like the most like uh, relatable, but to where I find him like incredibly inspiring is like his ability to kick that last hundred meters to like find that like one extra gear deep down is like the most incredible thing I've seen. Like I, I feel like he's so hard to beat over the last hundred meters if he's in it because he, and this is why he's so good is because he just has, he can dig deep and find something, you know? I like can't really do that at all times. I can't just like, I have it every now and then, but I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. So if I feel like I'm just like fitter than everybody else, or I'm just like more prepared than everybody else, that's how I like truly like can get good and like win races or perform or beat people. And so I really like try and like prepare myself the best for that. And I try and introduce anything to like, practically make that a reality so you know when it comes I don't have a kick like I said like I my kick has been pretty shit throughout the years so like all right like how do you kick in a race well you gotta like up your cadence you really gotta like pick them up and put them down and pump your arms you know what's the best thing to do for that wickets bought some wickets off of Amazon I gave them the coach I said you know how these work can you please set these up for me can you please set them up for me so I can like establish a better kick, you know? And she's like, yeah, that's great. Like, and I was like, I like to do these, you know, at least twice a week after workouts or on our day before workouts, just to like work on these like small things. And so, and that helped a ton. Like I was able to, you know, throughout my cross country races and some of the road races in the fall and, and winter, I was like, I actually had a kick. I could like turn over a lot better than I've ever done. And so small things like that is like where I truly like take solace, like in my preparation and my abilities just from like, if you want to be good, 
like if you want to practice, it's like baseball. It's like if you want to be a better hitter, you got to get in the, the cage. If you want to be a better pitcher, if you want to have a better changeup or better fastball, you have to like literally practice those things to be cut. For me, it's like if I want a better kick, I better like start learning how to up my cadence. If I want to be a better hurdler, I better start introducing things that really help my steeple, like my hurdling form, you know? So like I'm a very like, yeah, I'm a very practical trainer. Like I can't just like do double threshold every week like Jakob does and just have it have the talent to be able to apply it like I quite literally like if I want to be able to do something I have to train for it you know in the practical sense so trust um, the process yeah exactly except I have it's just like it's it's weird it feels very old school sometimes of like how I have to train because you know the training nowadays is so interesting where it's like these are the things that can make you better and granted yes those things do help me become a better runner like this you know this double threshold training we've been doing is very interesting and I think that's really helping build a base but to be honest that's not going to like you know everybody says like you got to be able to be strong to have a kick which is true but I have to like quite literally like train my brain and my muscles to be able to like turn it on when that time comes and so that's why I say like I'm very practical with my training because I have to like literally practice how to kick in workouts or in practice to be able to kick in a race and i've found that to be true from this fall you know i'm excited to see it i'm excited to see yeah it. I'm now i have to be able to kick over a water barrier and a hurdle which i've told joan we have to practice <laughs> so we're gonna we're actually gonna go up to we don't we don't have any water pits here in boulder so we're gonna go up to fort collins for a couple workouts to like make it happen the Colorado state track. And I'm quite literally going to practice how to kick over the last water jump and the last barrier. And hopefully that works, you know, hopefully it sticks. There you go. Look, look you're yeah. making it happen. You're being proactive. I, I think like a lot of runners are so guilty of being always thinking, Oh, I'll just keep training. I'll keep training. I'll train harder. I'll run just more miles or I'll run for longer. Um, yeah. Whereas I feel like you're breaking it down so specifically into what do I actually need to do? What what tools in my arsenal do I need to sharpen, and which ones do need to be need to be better? I think that's a yeah. very a very sort of mature way of looking at, at training, especially in this world that we live in now, where it is literally, oh yeah, I'll just do double thresholds twice a week, and and I'll, and yeah. I'll, and I'll become a better runner. Yeah, for I mean to be honest, for me, like doing the mileage and doing those like big workouts, like for example, like I was running US cross for the world qualifier in Australia. And the reason why I said I had to run 105 miles a week to Joan was like that's just evening the playing field for me. That's me just like getting to that like aerobic level that these guys are training at, or at least getting a little bit closer because I know guys are running more. Um, that's just me like evening out the playing field a little bit. But what's gonna get me to the point where I can like actually beat them and for example like wickets it's like well you're gonna have to outkick some people at the end so like better practice that you know so um yeah again super practical training for me is how i'm gonna be good i love that i love that so final question um in this segment joey before we head into quick fire questions i want to step away from the track step away from running and sport um what other passions do you have in life you know, it's funny because I said I had zero hobbies growing up because I was playing baseball every weekend. Um, but like during the pandemic, one of the things that like I actually picked up a lot was like shoe design and like footwear design and and drawing. And so yeah, I saw I saw some of your work. Yeah. So like I just kind of like picked that up out of nowhere and it started just becoming 
more of just like a fun thing to do just to like practice because it just did feel like a nice creative outlet and now it's it ended up turning into more of just like a passion outside of running it's like this is something that I can actually do after I'm done running and it's in a space that I'm like in and I quite literally am wearing running shoes every single day and it's like I can you know really apply myself to this and have this become like a career after running and so yeah I've you know it's it's kind of taken a back seat recently to be quite honest just because my running has been so time consuming or my training has been very time consuming and um I don't have like a lot of like energy outside of training sometimes to do all that stuff and um I've tried to get back into it more recently it's not really like a I'm not really like a sneakerhead by any means I just kind of like the way certain things are designed I think I have more of like a passion for design than for shoes in particular but shoes is just like an easy space for me to find myself in just because I am in the running world and I do know a lot of guys that are in you know that do work for those big shoe companies that are in product design or in um, footwear or like product managers and footwear. So it's like a very cool thing for me to like kind of dip my toes in and see if it's something I want to do. So that's, that's really the big one right now. Um, and yeah, I have a, an Instagram account that I kind of made up on a whim shoes. I would totally wear it's, you know, who Go knows? Follow. What Go follow that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows if it's going to turn into something, but it's really something that helps me take my mind off of running and something that I can find a little bit of passion in for, you know, when the running career is over. So yeah, it's been fun. It's been really nice. Love that. So quick fire questions, Joey. We do this with all yeah. of our guests. Uh, don't overthink the answers. Just give it, okay. give, it to me, give it to me straight. If you had a magic wand, what's one thing that you change in athletics? I... Yeah, and I saw your interview with um who did you interview last that you guys just posted about? Matthew Stonier. Yeah, Stonier. Yeah. I I heard this question. I was like, God, I gotta think about that because I know I'm gonna get you know it's coming. And it's kind of on the wavelength of what we've been talking about, but I think there needs to be more funding for development developing athletes, specifically in the USA. It feels like the rich get richer, and I feel like we'd become uh, selfishly as like a country on the world stage, we would be so much better if we were able to give athletes out of college some funding to pursue becoming a pro runner, because there's only five, there's only like five contracts available. It seems like for distance runners at the end of their NCA careers. And if we were able to give some kids an opportunity, some kids like some way to fund them through a year of training to show them that they can do this we'd be yeah. so much better and so much deeper as a country on the track and on the roads okay great and what's the best thing about being a professional athlete um i do like the free shoes that is fun um kind of on the wavelength of my my footwear design i kind of like I've been in the process of like tearing some apart like some of my old shoes just like tearing them apart and seeing if i can put things together it's like that's like my new like product like my new product manager like aspiration of like can I like get like a you know a solar boost and like put the ultra boost upper on it you know so I'm like I haven't done it yet but like I'm really in the process of like trying to make that happen that's my next that's my next step up above just like drawing on my iPad you know and worst thing about being a professional athlete I don't have it <laughs> I'm, I'm practically broke um but uh, that's not actually the worst part. That kind of keeps you humble, to be quite honest. Um, the worst part is 
you know the worst part that comes along that is that flying like shit like frontier sucks like frontier airlines or like having to like slum out some of these flights really sucks um so that's that's a tough part traveling is traveling's hard when you don't when you don't make a lot of money and it's required like you kind of have to like go to these meets Mm -hmm. and all of your income is basically pissed away on flights that part is really tough so um yeah okay so what's the yeah yeah sorry to hear that frontier if you're listening (laughs) they just denied i they just changed my flight by like it turned they changed the flight where it was like a two-hour flight they changed the schedule where it's a 26 hour flight now it doesn't land till like the next night and i'm like i put in a refund request i was like i can't do this and they're like sorry we denied it and i was like i hate this place yeah that's that's a tough gig that's a tough yeah. gig. um what's a what's a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear jesus um god i don't know that's a that's a heavy question for sure um no go away <laughs> what's the harsh truth that the running world no what's that this time less podcast <laughs> yeah everyone's got a fucking podcast <laughs> um what is it what's a it? harsh truth that the running world needs to hear um oh damn that's a pretty deep question that's what i was saying um what did you, did you get one you know what might not be a terrible one that's not like the the hottest take is that like with the zane robertson that zane robertson thing that's come out recently it's like not everybody finds their success from just working hard i'll i'll leave it at that there's some other stuff that goes along with it yeah that is is something a lot more of it needs to hear for sure there's a lot more of it than what other than what people may see even more than what i see or i don't see much to be quite honest you know but um, yeah, I think there's a lot more of it, and that's just suspicion. Fair, fair. That's a good one. I'm not going to top that. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sam. You're not so. You're not actually on this podcast, man. My friend. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Um, last yeah, one, Derek. I, think, I, know I, think you, I know you got to. I know you got to run. Literally. Um, <laughs> what is what is one thing that you would have liked would you that you'd like to have achieved in your life in ten years' time? I I would love to qualify for a world cross country team. Um if I've take, you know, obviously the coaching like split was really bad um with with coach Schwartz, but the one thing that he did tell me was that I was capable of qualifying for a world cross country team and I have like really hung on to that. I don't know if he like truly meant it or if he was trying to inspire me. But he said, you have an engine that is capable of doing something like that. And so I've really internalized that. And I would, yeah, if I were to finish off my career doing one thing, qualifying for a world cross-country team would make it great. I've broken four. So that that was yeah, awesome. Dumb. But now I'll like, yeah, but now um, that would that would be really cool. So I'm going to be, I'll be at every US cross. Let's go. Every to try and qualify. So amazing. Jari, it's been a it's been a really good chat. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Lloyd. And uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to watching you at those cross meets. I'm will, I'm gonna be calling the kick as well when I see it. Yeah, be the like, there's those there. wickets. There's those. Yeah, wickets. the wickets, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, legend. Thanks for your time, Joey. I'll see you around. Thank you, Lloyd.
Thank you for joining us for another episode this week of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Thank you to our guest, Joey Berriatua, for his time today on the show. And if you've enjoyed today's listen, please leave us a review and head over to our Instagram, at Trackster, to keep up to date with everything that we're up to. Now, you won't have to wait much longer for next week's episode, where we have another banger in store. We're sitting down and talking all things running with Great Britain International 5K specialist, Jack Rowe. I've been Lloyd, your host for today. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, have a great week, runners.